Hello, and welcome to the Her Head in Films podcast. I'm your host. My name is Caitlin. This is a podcast in which I share my personal musings on cinema. If you're new to the podcast and you don't really know who I am, as I said before, my name is Caitlin. I'm a writer. Um, I'm a dreamer. I have a mad, furious love for cinema. I also love literature. I love art. Uh, But one of my big passions has become film. And so, if you're wondering about the, um, the title, Her Head in Films, it comes from an email that I sent a friend a few years ago when I was really, really obsessed with films. And um, I go through periods where I get quite obsessed. And um, I just wrote in that email, I said, My head isn't in the clouds, my head is in films. And it was something that I just wrote in the moment spontaneously. And when I started thinking about doing a film podcast, that phrase came back to me because it seemed like the perfect encapsulation of how I feel about cinema, um, the effect that cinema has on me. So, uh, you know, basically I'm just sort of always thinking about it and, and I'm always watching films as much as I can when I have the time to. So, um, this podcast, as I said, it's, it's really about my personal musings. I'm not an academic. I'm not anyone who has experience in the film world. I'm not a filmmaker myself. I consider myself a writer. Um, I don't have any specialization or specialized knowledge about cinema. Um, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in Literature and Women's and Gender Studies. So I haven't even really taken a class about film. I'm much more of a self-taught person when it comes to cinema, and I'm someone who is still discovering and still learning. I started watching art house cinema and foreign film in in uh, in all seriousness in 2011. That was the point when I started to see cinema more as an art. Previous to that, I had taken a film appreciation class in high school where I got to watch like Hitchcock and a lot of um, sort of Hollywood classic films. And that certainly started getting me interested in film and appreciating it. But I wouldn't say until 2011 did I really seriously start to explore cinema as an art form and to get more interested in art house film especially. So I've only been at this about six years, so I'm still a newbie, I'm still a rookie in many ways, and um, I still have so much to learn, so much to discover, but that's what's kind of exciting about it, you know. And um, this podcast is really important to me, I talk about this in every episode, but um, I started this podcast first because I love film. But second, because I live in a rural area in the South, in the United States, there's not really, there is no art house cinema where I live. There's not a lot of culture, there's not a lot of emphasis or appreciation on cinema and literature and things like that. So, I also have a book podcast, and I'll put the link to that in the description. So, books and films are really my main passions. And, um, so I really don't have anybody to share my thoughts with about films or books. And that's why I started the podcast, because I really needed an outlet, and I don't think I realized how much I needed an outlet until I started doing these episodes. And I really got a chance to dig into films, and to share my thoughts, and to share my opinions, and it's it's something I was thinking about just today about as I said I live in a rural area I mean I'm really I live sort of in nowhere USA in many ways and um, I struggle with things like depression and anxiety and and I just I really struggle to connect to people in everyday life that's really hard for me it's hard for me to find people who really share my passions, you know, 
that I can really open up and share myself with. So when I do these podcasts, I really am sharing myself with you, the listener, and I'm really opening up my heart and there is a rawness about these podcasts, um, I would say. I don't have them scripted. I don't, I really like to speak off the cuff and I like to speak spontaneously because the way I see these podcasts, they really are a process. They are the process of me working through a film and I'll, I'll do bullet points and I'll have ideas and, and things that I want to talk about when I talk about a film. But I really like the freedom and the, and the, the liberation to just sort of go wherever my mind takes me when it comes to a film. And, you know, as you hear me talking, you're really hearing me in real time figure out how I feel about a film, figure out what it is about a film that is so special to me or so important to me. And um, so I, I like that rawness, you know. There are some really great film podcasts out there. One of my favorites is You Must Remember This, which talks about classic Hollywood. And the host of that podcast does a really wonderful job, goes very deeply into into history and into stories and does all kinds of research and and you can tell that those episodes are beautifully crafted and written. And my podcast is very different from that. And um, and that's for a reason, as I said. It's because I'm coming to terms with a film or I'm working through a film. And um, so these episodes are, are really just the real-time experience of that. And... I try to infuse some personal stories, a personal perspective, um, as I talk about these films. Um, and if you like that, I really appreciate it, you know. Um, I know it can be kind of different and and uh, maybe, maybe difficult for some people. Uh, maybe some people don't like this podcast or kind of ignore it when I post it on my Twitter. <laughs> and that's okay, you know. We're all different and... Not everybody wants to spend a long time listening to me <laughs> go on and on, but I, I do appreciate those of you who do listen because it makes me feel heard, it makes me feel a little bit less alone in the world. Because in my everyday life, and I've talked about this before, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very marginal person. I, I don't matter in any way, really, um, to anybody. Um... I really feel very sort of silenced and my home life is not always the best, honestly, especially right now. I really am struggling at the moment with a feeling of being silenced and marginalized and sort of trapped in in a life that I have trouble coping with and bearing sometimes. And, um... I just have a lot of issues going on. I don't want to go, you know, in-depth about it or anything, but this podcast is sort of an important outlet for me to to have a, to have a, a way to channel my passion for cinema and to try to share that with other people, and so I really appreciate those of you who listen, and and um, I think, I feel like in listening, you, you really do affirm um, who I am and, and show that you value what I have to say. And that's a very powerful thing for me because I don't feel that in my everyday life. I don't feel totally valued and totally appreciated. And, and, um, it's something that I really struggle with. So, um, today's episode, what I want to talk about is a film by David Lean, um, who was a British director. And it's from 1955, and it's called Summertime. I don't know if a lot of people are aware of this film. I just rewatched it tonight. I wanted to do this podcast as soon as I watched it because I didn't want to forget anything. I wanted it to be very sort of fresh in my mind as I talked about it because I actually watched this film several years ago in 2014. Um, as I record this, it is... April 30th, 2017, so three years difference, 
and um, I think it had a much more profound effect on me watching it for the second time. And um, the reason that I watched it is that, as I said, I, I struggle in my life, and film for me is a form of therapy, it's a form of escape, it's a form of salvation. Um, not that every time I watch a film it's pure escapism or anything, or I would probably never watch art house cinema, or difficult films, or slow films, or experimental films. So it's not always a form of escape, but tonight I was looking for a film that was sort of comforting and and dreamy and beautiful, and, and so I thought of Summertime. And it has all of that going for it. It is inglorious Technicolor. It stars Katherine Hepburn. And um, she plays a woman named Jane Hudson, who's from Akron, Ohio. And she goes on her first trip to Italy. Um, she goes by herself. She's, um, she's on her own, I guess you would call her a spinster. She is middle-aged. At the time that this film was made, Katherine Hepburn was around 48 years old. So um, she definitely plays a middle-aged woman, an older woman. And I'm always attracted to films about like older women going to Italy. Like, If you follow my book podcast, you'll know that I talked about a, a book recently called The Enchanted April, which is by Elizabeth von Arnhem. And it was made into a film by Mike Newell, who was the director of Four Weddings and a Funeral. And that is about four British women who take a holiday in Italy, um, like in 1920 or 1922. And it's this really lovely book about friendship and, and, and sort of the women become friends and they also reconnect with their husbands. And so it's this lovely little book and it was made into a lovely film as well. So I have a soft spot for women going to Italy on vacation, and um, I would say I kind of have a, a strong interest in Italy. I really feel like that if I did travel abroad, that is somewhere that I would want to go, along with like France and um, and uh, but yeah, Italy definitely interests me. Like Tuscany, especially, seems like a really beautiful place. So, um, so Jane is Catherine Hepburn's character, Jane Hudson. This is her first trip to Italy, probably her first trip to Europe, honestly. And, um, it's, it's just this glorious technicolor film by David Lean. And I've seen a few of David Lean's films. My favorite, favorite, favorite is Brief Encounter, which some of you may have seen already. And, uh, God, this film. It was made actually 10 years before Summertime in 1945 and it's just this gorgeous little gem of a film about like this tragic romance. The, these two people that want to be together but they're both married and, and they know that it would be wrong for them to have a relationship and they resist that desire and it's just this heartbreaking story about a love that can't be and so it's one of my favorite films of all time it's it's I still remember watching it on Turner Classic Movies several many many years ago at least a decade ago probably and um it was Robert Osborne introduced it and he recently passed away which was really heartbreaking and um I still remember watching that film still remember it it's such a vivid experience. So, ten years later, he does Summertime with Katherine Hepburn. And it's set in Italy. And the splendor of Italy is on full display in this film. Um, something really interesting that Lean does in a lot of the scenes is that we will see these different places in Italy, like the, well, she actually goes to Venice. I should be more specific. She goes to Venice. So all of this takes place in Venice. So we see the gondolas and the canals and the different, um, you know, the different piazzas and the different architecture and, um, and art. And so 
he shows a lot of these things um, with Catherine Hepburn in the shot, but from the back. We see her from the back, and then we see what she's looking at. We see the piazza, or we see, you know, whatever. And so it's as though we are experiencing this splendor with her. We're really watching it from her vantage point as she discovers the wonders of Italy. And it happens time and time again where we'll see these scenes, these gorgeous scenes and landscapes, and then we'll see her back, you know. We really are experiencing it with her. And we're sort of, we're gaping at the majesty of this architecture with her. And these scenes are, and it was shot on location in Venice. And so there's all kinds of activity. There's people everywhere. It's it's just packed full of activity and and movement and life. And um, as I was watching it, I, I love films like this. It has this very dreamy quality because of the Technicolor. And if you've seen other Technicolor films, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, I don't think other films really come close to some of those early Technicolor films in terms of the dreaminess of them. And um, the the way that the scenes are, are, are designed and the way that they're set up is just, they almost feel like paintings to me. They, they feel like paintings that have come alive. There's, you know, scenes of Jane in her hotel and these interiors are just so beautiful with like lace curtains and and then there's the terrace with this beautiful furniture and all these flowers and then you'll see the canal and and um they really do feel like paintings come to life and in that way it really reminded me of the film An American in Paris with Gene Kelly and that that's set in France obviously in Paris and shows uh, different paintings by French masters coming to life. And um, I think in many ways, uh, summertime has that quality of you just feel like you've stepped into a painting when you watch this film. So this is Jane Hudson, or I mean, I may say Hepburn throughout the podcast. I don't, I don't always know how to refer to the characters if I should say the actor or the character's name, but I may um, interchange them. So we first meet her on a train, and she's going to Venice, and she actually has a movie camera with her, which is very interesting. And throughout the film, she will use this movie camera to capture scenes and um, to capture memories of Venice um, she's on her own she goes to Venice by herself and um, and as I said before she is middle-aged she's about 48 years old and um, what's so interesting about this film is that it's really set into two parts the first 40 50 minutes are the first part I would say and it's the film is an hour and 40 minutes so about almost half the film the first part is about Jane Catherine Hepburn um, being alone she's very much alone in the film and she's exploring Venice and then the second part of the film is more focused on a romance that she develops with an Italian man so I actually for myself and more compelled by the first part of the film when Jane is by herself because in this part of the film I think Lane is really exploring themes of solitude themes uh, of yearning of aloneness um, and loneliness of connection and the difficulty of connection so for me, the most compelling part of the film is the first part, the first 40 or 50 minutes, I would say. Because there really is this sadness about Hepburn. She feels a very deep loneliness, and you can tell, and you can tell that she has this longing for companionship. For instance, when she goes to the hotel that she's staying at, there are a few principal people at that hotel. The first is the hotel owner, a woman, and um, she's actually a widow. Her husband died during the Second World War. So it's very interesting to sort of think about this film in terms of 
I don't, it doesn't really talk about the Second World War, and it's made ten years after that war. Um, perhaps in a way it, it captures the optimism of the post-war period. It captures maybe that sense of people really wanting to live life to the fullest because of the horrors of the Second World War. Um, but the the hotel owner being a widow sort of maybe you know reminds us a little bit of this is you know the second world war is still within very close proximity and close memory and then there's an american couple who are there um they're from illinois they're much older they're probably in their 50s or 60s and i would say they're sort of more the the stereotypical american tourists and they're a little bit funny in a way and then there's this man that lives there, and he's an artist, he's a painter, and he and his wife is with him. So all of these, there's several people at the hotel, but, um, but Hepburn has a lot of trouble connecting to them, because everybody is very much busy with their own plans. Um, you know, the couple is together, and then the hotel owner has a lover that she goes and sees. Um, everybody's coupled up everybody has somebody else with them and she doesn't um she's very much a woman apart a woman on her own she's alone and i think she really struggles with that and why i like the first part of the film so much is that lean shows that struggle he doesn't he doesn't shy away from showing sometimes the difficulty of being alone there are these moments when and hepburn gives a really um, really superb performance in this film. She is able to really balance the her strength that she always sort of has, I think. Hepburn always had a, a strength about her with a very deep fragility and vulnerability. There are moments when her eyes will water um, and you'll see the disappointment in her eyes, in her face, in her body when she makes attempts to connect and is rejected and fails to connect with other people. I mean, really, she tries to connect with the women, but um, but the women are really too busy with the men in their lives. So, But you can see how she's struggling with it. She's struggling um, because she's not really able to connect with anybody. And... Um, you know, it's it's ironic that Hepburn is in this bustling, bustling city of Venice, and yet she does feel so alone. But at the same time, even though she's alone, she does feel very real joy in her experience of Italy. She's by herself, but it certainly doesn't stop her from touring certain places in Venice. She goes to cafes, she walks along, you know, the canals, and um, but at the same time, even though she's able to enjoy it, she takes pictures, she takes little movies, and you can tell that there is this very serious yearning in her, that when she sees couples walk by, when she sees people with companions, and people who are able to share the experience with one another, you can tell that she's longing for that, and she's really, it's something that's missing for her. Um, at the same time, she yearns, I think, for romantic love or a romantic connection, but she's a little bit, um, she's a bit, a little bit uncomfortable with male attention because she is at an outdoor cafe at one point and she, this is when she first meets the man that she's going to develop a romantic relationship with. But at first, she's very undone by it. She's very flustered. He's looking at her. He's sort of checking out her legs and um, and sort of oogling her. You know what I mean? And um, she's so uncomfortable, and she sort of runs away and scurries away from him. And she doesn't seem to like it at all. Um, it makes you think that maybe she's very inexperienced with maybe sexual love or romantic love um, because she is so flustered by it and um, 
and then she meets the man again she ends up going into his antique store and she sees this red goblet and then they meet and their relationship starts to form I'm looking at my notes. There are definitely some funny moments in this film. It, it's th it's one of those films where I feel like it really has this great balance between the light and the deep. Because um, it is this it is sort of a lighter, more lovely film. That's why I wanted to watch it because it had that lightness about it. But it's really, it has a, has a lot of moments of depth and seriousness, especially once she gets into the romantic relationship with this man who's named Renato, Renato de Rossi, I believe that's his name. And, um, but at one point she falls into the canal and, um, there's this huge crowd that forms around her as she's, and as she's getting out of the canal and she's, you know, dripping wet and soaked to the bone. Hepburn, with her deadpan uh, humor, says, well, you should have seen me in the Olympics. And it's it's just this very um, funny moment. But no one gets the joke because, of course, they're Italian. And they don't, they don't really understand what she's saying, necessarily, um, because of the language difference. And, you know, she, she handles falling into the canal, but she, you can tell that she's mortified. I mean, she cracks these jokes, but she is just there's such a fragility about her in the scene and um she's always on the verge of tears in the first part of the film she is always on the verge of tears hepburn's eyes are sort of always glistening or always um full of tears and um it really conveys her sense of aloneness and her sense of yearning And so she connects with, with Renato, and he comes and sees her at her hotel, and at first she doesn't realize he's there to see her. And as I say, it's just these few clues that make you think maybe she hasn't had a romantic relationship before, or she's been terribly hurt in a previous relationship. It's not totally clear if she's just very inexperienced with men, and, and with, I guess, those romantic cues um, she seems very flustered, you know, and, um, at first she definitely resists her romantic, um, desire for him. She seems to really be afraid of, of being made a fool of or being taken advantage of because she is an American tourist in Venice. She doesn't know if he does this with other women if this is, if he's some Lothario or Casanova, and, um, and also, I think she also has to keep in mind that she is a woman of a certain age, that she is older, and he's, I would say he's about in his 40s, there's like gray in his hair, but I would say that Hepburn is older than him, so I think that as a woman of an older age, I think she's very aware of her own vulnerability, of the ways in which she could be taken advantage of and she's aware probably of how for a woman like her love is often out of reach that you know when women hit a certain age they're not considered erotic anymore they're not considered sexually attractive or or sexually active and so that's another component of this film that i think is really fascinating that for 1955, this is a film talking about a middle-aged woman having sex and falling in love. And even today, I would say we don't see a lot of films like that. About, about a mature woman being sexual or, or being um, erotic or sensual and really exploring her sexuality. I don't think that's a common topic even now. So for 1955, um, I think it's pretty powerful. This is a film about an older woman really exploring desire and figuring out what she wants and and what she desires. And, um, and she certainly wants Renato, but she struggles with it and she's conflicted about it. 
Um, and, but she does fall in love with him. So even though she's conflicted, um, you know, she wants him. You can tell she desperately wants him. But she fears that desire. I think she fears maybe being consumed by that desire or being undone by it. I mean, when you think about romantic love, it's something that is very disruptive. And it's very, one can feel out of control. And so if you're someone who maybe is used to having a lot of control in your life, and you're someone who's very together and very in control at all times, I think desire and, and sexuality and romantic love can be something very terrifying and very scary to lose that control to someone else. But I think she wants to experience that. She's, it's, it's also about how sort of places can change us. If she was in her everyday life in Akron, Ohio, she may not have an affair with a man on a whim that she's just met. I mean, she barely knows Renato. She doesn't even know much about him. But because she's in Venice, because she's in this dreamy, romantic place, I think she's sort of overcome by the spell of Italy and, and the enchantment. Just like I said, The Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnhem. That's also about women who are really bewitched by Italy and really come under the spell of this of this place of the villa where they're living and I think something happens to Jane Hudson you know Hepburn's character as well that she comes under the spell of Venice and she wants to lose herself she wants to experience the full depth of her desire and sexuality and you can see this in an interesting scene where she kind of undergoes this makeover she gets her hair done, she gets her nails painted, she buys this gorgeous black dress and these red um, high heels. The red high heels seem to really symbolize this sort of transformation where she's much more um, sort of open with her body and she shows more skin and whereas before her dresses had been more, had been covering her more and um, so with this new black dress when she's going to go on her date with Renato um, she's much more um, I guess sh showing more skin you know being more um, I guess sensual in a way but unfortunately on that date she does discover that he's actually married so she feels this great sense of betrayal and this crushing of her hopes and her desires but at the same time that desire is very strong in her and and she fights it but she ultimately gives into it and so so that's an interesting part of the film as well is that here is this woman who seems to have principles she's very disturbed that he's married she's very disturbed that he would be cheating on his wife and um so she does seem to have these moral principles, but she ultimately gives in to her desire for Renato, and they do consummate their relationship, and it's sort of symbolized by the fireworks. There are these fireworks being let off in Venice, and the two of them go into the hotel room, and, and so the, the fireworks symbolize the sexual consummation of their relationship. I think it's always so interesting watching these older films. They really had to, they had to find a way to convey sex without actually showing it or saying it. And I always think it's sort of interesting the methods that they used for that. And if you think of like North by Northwest, I remember watching that in that film appreciation class I took in high school. And I remember the teacher telling us that when the train goes into the tunnel, that that is this symbolism for the the sex that Cary Grant and Eve Marie Saint are having. So it's very interesting the way directors back then were able to really 
transmit to the audience that sex is happening without actually showing it or showing too much of it just kisses and and holding but at the same time those films are classics and they're they were beautifully made you, you don't necessarily need graphic sexual content to to convey eroticism or you know like a lot of things can be erotic without being graphically sexual so it's actually this really beautiful scene but um i just thought that was interesting how the fireworks really worked as a symbol there it for me it wasn't totally clear why she does this 180 how one minute she's horrified that he's married and then the next she's in his bed and having sex with him the only explanation i can really come up with for myself is that she's human and she's like anybody where she's conflicted and she's she knows it's wrong but she wants it and she feels that desire very strongly and so i think maybe that's the explanation that you know i don't think we think less of her or anything she she knows it's wrong on one level she knows he's married that he has children but she wants to have this relationship with him she desires him she wants to have this experience um she wants and she needs that romantic love i mean that's what the first half of the film really set up is that this is a woman yearning for connection she tried to connect with women she tried to connect on the level of friendship and she's finally found this romantic connection and i think for her she wants to explore that and she wants to have that and she knows that it's not going to last she knows that she's going to eventually have to leave for america um she knows the reality and she knows the stakes of the situation and underneath she knows that what she's doing is wrong but it's also the happiest time of her life she says this at the end of the film she says this is the happiest time that i've ever had in my entire life and she's never going to forget it and so on one level she knows it's wrong but on another level she's feeling great pleasure in what she's doing and she and you can see it in the way hepburn moves the way hepburn smiles i mean hepburn conveys the complete um transformation that she undergoes when she's in love with Renato she is just totally in love you know she's so dreamy and and um Hepburn really does a beautiful job of conveying just how deeply uh Jane falls for Renato and um this film really reinforced for me that Lean really had a gift of 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 showing these really tortured tragic complex relationships between men and women in brief encounter in the passionate friends which is another film of lean's that i've seen and here in summertime he really looks at these couples who long to be together they ache to be together but they can't there's always some obstacle standing in the way of them coming together and being together and so if you think about with brief encounter they resist it they can feel it they they want to be together but they know that they can't and so they don't act on their desire but in summertime Jane does act on her desire she participates in this affair and so that is a difference it's a big difference between um those two films is that um instead of resisting that desire um she follows it and and participates in it and even though she's conflicted um So I think that's sort of an interesting aspect of the film. Um I'm just looking at my notes seeing if there's anything else that I want to say about the film. The ending is really good. I don't want to give away everything about the film. I feel like I do that in these episodes, but I just want to talk about the film 
it all ends in a train station. I think Lean really loved train stations. Well, and there's just something so romantic about train stations. When I watch classic films, I always love when there's these scenes at these train stations. There's always a romance about it. I've always wanted to, like, take a train journey for some reason. I, I probably never will, but there's just something about them that's so romantic. And, of course, she does have to leave. She can't stay in Venice. Her life is in Ohio. So she knows that the relationship is going to come to an end, and it does. And um, there's this very dramatic parting at a train station. And I just, it's interesting because when I watched this film in 2014, I liked it. I certainly liked it. But I don't think it hit me quite the same way as it did watching it this second time. And I'm actually glad that I rewatched it. What I remembered is this really sort of light, dreamy film. I had forgotten that there was a lot more depth to it. And I think a lot of that depth comes from the first part, as I said, where you see the portrait of a woman who is struggling with being alone and struggling with human connection. And I think that's something that a lot of us can relate to. I know that I myself can that it is hard to connect to people. It is hard to find a companion or, or several companions. It's hard to make friends. It's hard to fall in love. It's So many movies and books are about these things, but I don't know if those movies and books always look at how difficult it is. You know, in a lot of movies, it's, oh, people look at each other and fall in love, but it's much more complicated than that, and it's much harder than that. And what do you do when you are alone when you are lonely and I wonder about Jane you know she had this love affair she explored her sexuality and she gave into her desire and she experienced what it was like to really be consumed by romantic love and maybe that was an experience that she had never had or an experience that um or she feared if she'd had it one time that she would never have it again, perhaps she had her heart broken. And so she gets to have that again. And But I do wonder about when she returns to Ohio, and she will have the memories of her experience with Renato, but I, I just wonder what happens next for Jane. Of course, I always wonder these things at the end of a film. I mean, I think the best films leave you wondering what happens to the characters and maybe you come up with scenarios in your mind but the strength of this film was its depiction of a middle-aged woman exploring love struggling with loneliness those are things that for me especially definitely resonate I mean I'm 27 I don't know what it's like to be at that point in your life and to have those experiences but I'm someone who hasn't really had a lot of romantic relationships or anything or I'm someone that I do long to be desired and I do long for romantic love but it's not something that's happened to me and so you know as a woman it's difficult women are Women are so much defined by romance and by being desired, especially by men. And they're very much defined by how they look and how they attract men. And so if that's not your main pursuit in life, if you have other interests like I do, like books and movies and and uh, other things that you love and that you are passionate about, or if you struggle to connect to people or you can feel very I don't know you can feel really different and I recently read this essay that someone sent me it was on Miss Magazine it was by Miss Magazine and it was about Boston marriages about women in the 19th century who lived together and may have been lesbians or may not have been but it was really about how in our culture, in Western culture, in the U.S. especially, there is such an emphasis on romantic love. There's this emphasis on getting married, having children. But there are people for, for who that is not the be-all, end-all. 
there are people who really value friendships or who have unconventional relationships like the writer mentioned that Stephen Daldry who was the director of The Hours another film that I really love how he is gay but he's married to a woman but they're best friends so he basically married his best friend so that would be an example of a very unconventional relationship and that was how I always felt that I always when I had friends like in high school or middle school I always really valued those friendships and they were important to me but then it felt like those it felt like the women once they got a boyfriend you know once they fell in love their friendship with me or with other women became secondary that the relationship with the man the romantic relationship took center stage and it was hurtful and it was it was difficult for me and I really struggled with it and because I just feel like there's other kinds of love and there's other kinds of connection there's other ways of relating to people be beyond the romantic and um, there's just not that value placed on that you know that not everybody wants to get married not everybody wants to date not everybody wants to engage in those kinds of relationships some people are looking for something deeper or something different and um, but it's so outside the norm these days and always has been um, but I think you know I I don't mind being alone we put these really negative connotations to women who are alone like spinster and old maid women who choose not to marry um, but I think we need to rethink that that there are women who legitimately choose to live alone or to be on their own and that's a legitimate choice to make in your life and um, so this film sort of interesting with Hepburn's character she maybe seems to be a spinster or an old old an old maid and I do think it's interesting that at the beginning of the film she really tries to connect with women before she tries to connect with men she seems much more comfortable with women she tries to connect with the hotel owner who's a woman and she tries to connect with the wife of the painter that's at the hotel but as I said both of those women are much more interested in being with their significant other their the men and I do find it interesting that when she first encounters Renato she is just so undone by it and so uncomfortable with any kind of attention from men she puts her sunglasses on anytime she's like talking to men she'll put her sunglasses on kind of like she needs some kind of shield in order to deal with them which makes me think maybe she's been burned in the past or hurt in the past or she's just really uncomfortable with men I, f I find that in myself too that I don't really like being around men <laughs> I find I'm very uncomfortable with men some of my worst interactions online have been with men um, who have been vicious at times and so I have a little bit of a distrust of men honestly which I think is normal for a lot of women to be honest you don't ever know if you can fully trust a man sometimes not that I haven't had bad experiences with women it, it, it happens you know both of them have happened but um but I think it's interesting how at first her relations with men seem to be sort of fraught and she seems to be uncomfortable and she seems to long for male attention long for um, companionship but at the same time she's sort of scared of it at the same time until she starts to really fall into it and fall in love with Renato so um yeah this is such an interesting film it's dreamy it's beautiful I think there's a lot more to it than I realized the first time that I watched it and so as I said I'm glad that I gave it a second watch because um, often watching a film a second time can be really illuminating and it can kind of I saw some of myself in there 
with her, with her discomfort with men, her discomfort at first with with a romantic relationship, her conflict about it, her yearning for human connection, her struggle with aloneness and, and solitude and being alone, but at the same time able to find joy in life even when she's by herself. As I said, she toured Italy, she toured Venice, she enjoyed it, she was happy at times, but obviously once she's with Renato, she's much more happy. And that's valid. You know, that's a totally valid thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting a romantic relationship. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, just saying that, you know, that's not the be-all, end-all for all people. But that's another conversation. So, I think if you want something sort of light and dreamy, but also high quality, and there is depth there, and it's David Lane. I don't... I don't know if you can go wrong with a David Lean film, honestly. I mean, this is my third David Lean film, and I really enjoy it. I enjoyed The Passionate Friends. I enjoyed Brief Encounter, of course. I absolutely recommend Brief Encounter. I It's like an essential for me. It's on my list of essentials. And, um, and Summertime has, has a really, has, is very beautiful in its focus on a middle-aged woman and her different struggles, but also her pleasure and her transformation and her discoveries. And, um, yeah, I really, really loved this film and enjoyed it. So I hope I was able to do some justice to it for you. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about it. But, uh, thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, keep watching movies. And, um, yeah, I'll see you next time. Bye for now.